Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording within three prisons across the Colorado Department of Corrections. Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Sterling Correctional Facility. Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Denise Price. Andrew Drake. Terry Mosley Jr. Sean J. Marshall. Ashley Hamilton. Sarah Berry. Brett Phillips. Angel Lopez. Travis Barnes. Matthew Labonte. Ms. Grant. Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them. Because we recorded this season virtually across so many sites, there's going to be moments where our sound quality is not as perfect as we wanted it to be. We'll ask for your understanding and let you know that we're always working to provide a wonderful listening experience. Well, I think it's kind of simple. You know, the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident. I want to know who's we, right? All men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So you tell me this, because I'm incarcerated, I lost the rights that God gave me. We're wondering, what does it mean to be a citizen in America? Denise? I have been alive for a little bit of time now, and for all of my years on this earth, living right here in this beautiful country of America, I don't know if I know what it means to be a citizen in this country, right? Well, let me clarify. I know what it means from an academic standpoint, but from a practical day-to-day live my life as an American I really don't know if I know, but I have some numbers for you. I got a few numbers for you. Check these out, right? G1145 and N400. Let me repeat those one more time, right? Don't be mind boggled. I know it may feel like these numbers are coming from nowhere, but let me repeat them one more time. G1145. Four five and N four zero zero. Denise, do these numbers mean anything to you? The G and the N, I think a bingo. Uh, but you, what did what did you say they were? I didn't say they were anything. Not yet. So they're not. They're definitely not bingo numbers. Then they are not bingo numbers. But in a twisted kind of way. They kind of are. So I took it upon myself in the interest of really wanting to know what it means to become a citizen in our country. You know, if we don't have the privilege of being born here in the good old U.S. of A., you know, I did some research. Okay, so you did some research. I did a little bit of research. All right. I'm curious. What what I mean, what are these numbers? We're talking about citizenship in America. All right. I know I'm being being very uh, being very vague. I know that. But but did you know that in order, Denise, that in order to be considered for just the possibility of becoming a citizen in this country, you're not guaranteed here. Right. There is no guarantee here. You just have the possibility of becoming a citizen. You have to complete 20 pages of an application for naturalization and then 100 questions of an exam. 20 pages? 20 pages. 20 pages of an application. I think of like the last time I applied for a mortgage, that was like the only thing that I've ever had 20 pages of anything for. Right. But you know, as you say that though, Andrew, I can't help but think of all the people in the times we're in right now between our divided country and other countries that are in war that what does it mean to be a citizen in our country? And then I, what draw what I feel is a bit of patriotism, and I feel like of all the people that have fought before, for us to have our liberties. So I think of like soldiers, and I think of the military. Uh, but then I also think of like, which is crazy. We're talking about this today because I her name is Frances Perkins, and she was the first female labor secretary. She helped create the Social Security Administration and other things. And so I think of those people. I think of. We'll just say Dean Williams. I think of all these people that have led the way to what it means to be a citizen in this country. So, yeah, it's an educational moment. It's making me think about a lot of things. Denise, 
you know, if I was given the 100 question exam when I was 15, 16, 17 years old or or even, you know, the 20 year old me, I would have failed that exam. I would have failed it royally in every single kind of way. And in my day to day life, in my actions, I have failed. Right. I have not upheld the agreements of citizenship and I don't know some of the answers to those questions. And to me, those form numbers are like a game of chance, just like bingo, you know, and it's 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 a, it's a form of life bingo for those who are striving to become citizens in this country. For those who travel all those miles, who walk all those miles, drive all those miles, fly all those miles and they cry all those tears and all they want is to just have a piece of the American pie. Right. I don't even they don't want the full. I don't even know if they want a, a full piece. They may just want a, a bite of that piece of the American pie. And all they really want is just to take hold of and to become part of the American dream. But it's really like a game of chance. Uh, you say that and I'm thinking like I feel a little guilt and a little shame. You should. Um. <laughs> I, did you say I should? You should. And I should, I too. I should. I should, I too. Do. You know, as Americans. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it makes me the awareness of my uh, my impacts in life and like, how am I showing up in the world? And why didn't I get educated when I was, you know, in school? And why didn't I take my responsibility as a citizen? Why didn't I take it seriously enough to understand the negative actions and the ripple effect? I just have a new understanding of it and like I'm on this committee here and inside and we review policies and it's given me a new perspective and so I guess as we introduce this um, episode I would I would think that I would challenge everybody to see how are they affecting their their community inside and out and really how have they gambled with their freedoms because I know I have I agree we all have gambled our freedoms and and that is exactly why we should feel guilty because I really believe that that it is a privilege. It's an actual privilege to be born in this country, regardless of how 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 dark or how twisted and how crazy the history of our country is. Um, regardless of all of that, I think that it's a privilege to be born here because freedom is not guaranteed. Not one person's freedom is guaranteed. Freedom is something that has to be fought for and something that needs to be maintained. And it's important that we as a people cherish that privilege. And I personally encourage everyone, every citizen of our country to take account of their own knowledge and how they are showing up in, in our country and in, in, in their world as a citizen. And that being said, Denise, I think that leads us right into our first interview where you talk to Tiffany McCoy, who is a resident of Denver Women's Correctional Facility in you speak to her about her current involvement with uh, different programs and, and her political views and what she believes her civic responsibilities are and the different programs that she involves herself in as she takes account of how she views citizenship in our country. I asked four people of various ages and backgrounds, what was the name of their civics class? And of the four people I asked, only one had taken an actual civics class. Civics is the study of rights and duties of citizenship. The summer of 2020 revealed citizens wanted change, and they took to the streets and state capitals to show their desire. Now the discord was a visible thing. We have asked incarcerated residents how are they part of their community and to speak to the shared responsibility we all have inside the razor wire or outside of prison. I want everybody to meet Tiffany McCoy today because she's going to tell us of her journey and how she's exercising her rights as a citizen and fulfilling her civic duty. Let's go meet her. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Denise. I'm so happy you're here today. I'm happy to be here, too. I'm so excited because I... I know we've worked together for quite some time, but I really want people to understand like the history of your journey because I think it speaks well to the people incarcerated and hopefully it will inspire people like you've inspired me. Aw, thanks. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I want, I want the world to know Tiffany McCoy. I'm 31. I got 
locked up when I was 19. So I've been locked up for about almost 12 years. Um, I train dogs, which I love, and I'm really close to my family. First off, I want to ask, do you believe there is a difference between an activist and a citizen? Yes, I think there's a difference. What's the difference? What's the line of distinction? Well, to me, I think a citizen can be anyone, right? A citizen to me is someone that lives somewhere. But I think an activist is someone that puts effort into change and they fight to make a difference and change things for themselves and the people around them. One of the other things that I wanted to know is because I know about 2016. Can you talk to that? I was getting things in the mail about National Prisoner Strike Day, which was September 9th. And it's because it was September 9th because there was, a, I guess you call it a rebellion or a riot or something that happened in another prison some years ago. And so we were supposed to do it to help to stand in solidarity with them, right? For the people who lost their lives and everything that happened on September 9th many years ago. Okay. So in La Vista, I was getting these papers and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I want to be involved. I want to be involved. So I decided to do a chow hall strike. I was talking to some people and I'm planning, you know, how are we going to feed the people that don't have food, that don't that want to participate and all this stuff. And the officer heard me and took me to his higher ups, like the lieutenants and captains and things like that. And we started having a conversation and they told me I was not going to start a riot in their prison. Um, and I was taken to the hole and I was there for 10 days and then I was served with another write up for the same situation for um, disobeying lawful order because there was a phone call between me and some people about the things that were happening in the prison I was in. And you can't be on a phone call with multiple people and all these things like that. So I got two write-ups. And then your reaction to the staff telling you you couldn't do this was not the right way, was it? No, I started saying how the facility was racist and I started talking about black people getting killed by cops on the streets. So they didn't like it. I was kind of... I was very vocal. Did you hire a lawyer? Were there any other after effects from that? Yeah, um, they sent me to DW, which is a max prison, and La Vista's not max. I got put in close custody, which is the max of the max of the prison. And a lawyer found me, actually. Um, They wanted to represent me because they felt like it was wrong for me to do 19 days in the hole for the situation. So apparently, that's when I found out there are right ways to protest stuff because the lawyer was telling me there were right ways, you know? Uh So, but the lawyer couldn't help me because he found out I didn't file the grievance process. Uh Aha. So that's another process I missed. (laughs) Right, and that's that's the process inside DOC in order to grieve subjects that we don't like. Yes. Just for people that are not, you know, hip to the lingo of the DOC. And I, I asked the question, why fight while incarcerated? Things need to change and there has to be someone that stands up for something, right? To get something done. Because I'm talking about the maturity of your activism, because I think in 2018, it really inspired me to see what you struggled with, because not only are we on the canine team together, like I watched you struggle with the feelings. When you joined Sturm Law College and that survey that they put out to everybody, can you speak to that and what that was like for you? As you said, they put out a survey and I filled it out. They wanted to know if I was willing to fight this battle, try to get greeting cards back. So I felt like it was important. I just felt like it had to happen. So you accepted this fight, and I know that there were probably not everybody was on your side. What Were there any people that were like, it's not? Why are you doing this, Tiffany? Why are you doing this, McCoy? Yeah, there were people that told me it wouldn't happen. Um, there was staff that told me it wasn't important. Um, why are you doing this? No one cares. It's just cards, you know, things like that. I had naysayers, but I just kept pushing. I was just, I knew that with the, all the fear and the negativity, I knew that God could get me through this, right? And that I'll be okay. No matter what happens, I'll be okay. And that I'm doing something that needs to happen. And here we are, you know, three years removed from that almost. And there's still some issues that each facility is working out with having the, the privilege, I guess, of greeting cards. But how was it? And I'm going to backtrack a little bit. How was it sitting in that room with all those people? Because I remember you were like, I'm going to go meet Dean Williams today. Oh, and you were so scared. <laughs> I was so scared. I felt like 
So they were telling me all these people that were going to be there, Dean Williams and some other people on his staff. I knew the warden here was going to be here and some other people on his staff. And I just felt like I was scared, first of all, and I felt like I wasn't big enough and I wasn't smart enough to be in the room with these people. Right. And so there you are. You're sitting in this room with all these people. You're at the point. It's like, what 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 day of reckoning is this in that moment? Can you tell people? Well, it was the day where they were going to tell us if we were going to get cards back or if we were going to have to go into court and continue on with a lawsuit. So it was a big day. It was a big day. (laughs) And now here we are with the privilege back. How do you feel post-victory? Oh, I feel great. And I love all my cards that I'm getting from people and all the cards I sent my other friends who are incarcerated for Christmas and things like that. People minimize what's so important to us inside often. And so having people like you that fight for us, that say, hey, wait, this isn't just affecting me, it's affecting everybody. Who inspires you to keep doing that? I don't know. I think it's just in me. I don't feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's just automatic. So it's just naturally instilled it's in you. It's just natural. Okay. I, I love that it is because you've already some, been changing some things within DOC here, especially in Denver Women's Correctional Facility, because in that conference room with Dean Williams, what did he tell you? Um, he asked me if I was willing to start a policy review group with residents in DOC. So, of course, I said yes. I was ex- I'm scared a lot, right? right. I was scared. <laughs> I was scared of that, too, and excited. And the warden came to me about a week later and was like, are you ready? And I'm like, what? You know, I didn't even think it was serious, really. But the warden was serious and Dean Williams was serious. Yeah. So um, I came to you first to help me start this because you're one of the smartest people I know. I mean, you just started it. Me, you and Warden Long. And it was scary. It was and scary. And I think that that's what I want people to hear is like, we don't have these skills. We're not like personally myself. I wasn't like given a professional background to go like, here, you're going to go read these dry policies yeah. and you're going to figure out how to make it better for everybody because clearly it's affecting us. And then as we've evolved, talk about what our program is and tell them the name. Um, our program is Voices Of. So Voices stands for Vigilant Offenders, Initiating, Creating and Enhancing Solutions. Um, we review policies. So every month, different policies come up for review. There's about 540-so policies, and we review them alongside some of our staff here at DW. Um, We also do some community things. Um, We've gotten socks for the homeless, and we're trying to do some some things inside prison, like a hygiene closet for the women here that don't have all the money they need to get all the things they need to survive in here. What has working with staff now? Because in the beginning, it sounded like you were mad, you were angry. And you wanted everybody to know how you felt about everything. Yes. How has your professional or your relationship, how you view the cops changed, how you view staff, how has that changed? Well, I was raised to have issues with authority. Like I was raised not to respect authority. FTP, some people might know F the police. I was allowed to say the F in that as the only cuss word I could say. So coming into prison, I didn't like staff. I didn't like them. I didn't trust people who did like them. When we started working with staff on voices, I started learning that we're a team. It's not us against them. And that was actually one of the main things we wanted to do with voices when we first started was get rid of the us versus them mentality. I was thinking just now of like people that say like, what's the point? To make things better, we live here. Prison is like its own world. And this is people's lives, whether they live here or they just work here. So it's important that it's right. It's important. It matters. Can everyone become an active citizen? Yes, I think everyone can. How would you do that? Um, find something that you're passionate about. Find something that matters to you. And I feel like I feel like it's really important support. Support is really important in this. And I had a lot of support. And I don't know if I would be able to do it without the support that I had. And even with voices, the staff support, we can't do the things that we do without the staff that's there to help us. So um, I think everybody should just find their passion. Who else are we talking to today that has the power? We're talking to everybody. We're talking to people in prison who might not like that 
maybe their walls are green now but no it could seriously. be anything you know and but you just have to learn to speak the language of the person that you're trying to get to to change what you're trying to change you have to do things the right way and there's processes and there's things you have to follow to get things done i had to learn that and you you still are fighting but you're fighting in the right way i'm fighting the right way i learned the right way to do things through a lot of trial and error yes girl <laughs> I just want to wrap this up by asking, are you still a citizen? Yes, I'm still a citizen. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you. So the evolution that Tiffany is taking, I, I am finding is taking place with more and more people who are incarcerated this 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 uh this political awakening this this finding oneself in the political sphere all i could say with tiffany is that when when i was talking with her and i i love her she's my friend and i've watched her grow up but her honesty it's what really hit me throughout the whole interview with her is that her honesty when she was sitting in the room with the executive staff how how little she felt and how unsure of herself she was and I'm not saying that to point out like how she felt. I'm just saying she walked through that fear. And I think a lot of us are afraid to talk to like management staff or to talk like if I was to meet the president of the United States, how would I be in his company um, or people of power? How are you when you're around those people? How do you show up when we all are all just human beings? And um, when she walked through that to reinstate the privileges, that's what the, the whole point of that meeting was to reinstate the privilege of greeting cards coming into the facilities. She was courageous. And I wonder how much she grew in that moment. Like the adult in her showed up. If we're gonna use terms of like adult and child or immature, all that things, like she walked through it no matter what. And that honesty, when she told me that, is I think we should all find the comfort in it. Cause it, when that moment I was like, man, I felt like that so many times in my life. And I wonder, is that what prison does to a lot of us is we feel inadequate or is that just people walking around in the world feel inadequate? But I also know we as incarcerated people have been told we are others, but our citizenship still matters, though. It does. And I do think that prison compounds that. And I also think that that the way that we are raised, right, how people are raised directly impacts the way that we interact with police politicians or whoever is in a position of trust and authority in our country. Um, and it was also powerful how she said that she was raised not to trust authority. So that tells me that this this was a learned behavior, you know, that she was given, that she was taught. And I understand that way of thinking because I was a person who didn't trust the police or the justice system. And the reason behind that is because I actually feared them. I feared them because I didn't understand them. And I feel like today's generation, uh, the generation that is coming up right now in this day and age, doesn't understand them either. And this generation is at a junction point. And together, all of us, we must all choose what, what our true North Star is, the direction that we need to take to arrive at the home that we all deserve. And I question myself and I can't help but wonder if this is the legacy, you know, that we have that we're going to leave. I don't know when I mean, you're touching an emotion in me right now when you when you think of like the kids and my own child and my daughter, like this is what we're leaving our kids. So I feel like maybe I'm too patriotic, but I feel like the citizenship that we have in America, it's our responsibility. But a true north, you know, I keep going back to when Dean Williams said that and you've, you've said it before in other other interviews. Um, what do you mean by this, though? Of the true north is the aim of our collective thoughts and actions as human beings. Uh, you just spoke about Dean and he spoke about our north in our episode, The Great Bridge. And 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 I can't help but navigate toward the thought of the direction that we all must go. You know, Andrew, when we talk about stuff like this, like my lens gets cleared and uh, and when we talk about stuff like when you I know how you feel about youth. I know about how you feel about education and I know what this podcast means to you. And I, I wonder, I just say thank you. And I hope everybody that's listening to us when I interview Travis Barnes, I pose the question, as we all have throughout this 
episode is, uh, are you still a citizen? And that is the question. And in this next segment, Denise, you speak with our own music producer, Travis Marnes, and the two of you explore what it means to be an incarcerated American citizen using the right to voice an opinion and viewpoint. Very well. You? I feel great. I really want to share this with people. But I really want to ask you, what makes a citizen a citizen? Well, I sure hope you're not looking for some educated answer. But from my vantage point, a citizen is a person who lives within a certain space that is overseen by a certain government. And that person is connected to that government by allegiance, so to speak, and agreement. And thus, you know, that's why when people come into this country, what do they do? They make them, you know, learn some of the language, um, read some of the books, learn things about the country, say the Pledge of Allegiance, all this, that, and the other, right? And then they have to go through all these different tests so that they can be considered a citizen of the United States. Now, me, I was born in this country, so obviously I was born a citizen, but consciously, I believe if you step into that and you own the fact that you're under this government and you're subjected to it by way of acknowledging its authority over you, and by agreement of consent, by abiding to its laws, and acknowledging that you're a citizen of this nation, then that makes you a citizen, whether you're inside of prison or on the outside of prison. So you said the word subjected. To me, that sounds kind of like uh, it's a have to, you know? And so I guess I want to dig into a little bit more of you're also a subject because you're incarcerated. So we're subjected to more to more laws. We're subjected to more um, rules. Uh, do you think rules and laws are the same thing? Well, so let's go back to what you said about subjected, right? So citizenship, like to me, that word, it's relational, right? And ultimately, that's seated in a person's relationship, not just to the community around them, but really to its like to your government and so a government has authority over its people and depending on the nature of that government right like we live in a republic um, some would argue that it is or rather a constitutional republic some would rather argue that argue that it is a democracy and it sounds like we're splitting hairs but there's really a difference between a democracy and a constitutional republic but that's another conversation so to me that word citizen it's relational so then when we come down to laws to me laws rules they regulate relationships right so for example don't steal other people's stuff that regulates my relationship between my property and other people's property right so drive you know this speed limit down the road that regulates my relationship between my vehicle right this road and other drivers so there's all these laws in place that ultimately are checks and balances so laws rules aren't necessarily a bad thing in and of themselves when they're not just arbitrarily put forth but rather when good sense is behind them and the relationships they regulate are actually benefiting the society and the citizens of that society. I don't think I could have said it any better. The reality is, is like you said, and I think that's a good visual for people listening is to think of themselves on the road or anybody not even on the road. Like when you are in a car, there's policies in place, there's speed limits in, in, in you know, every so often to, to check yourself. It's like you see the speed limit sign, you're like, oh, I should be going 55, but I'm going 75. Because it ultimately comes down to rules to keep each other safe. Because we, you know, it's almost like the government has to check us to make sure we remember there's other people that we need to care about. Right. That's how I, I that's how I get the idea behind of why why there's government in place and what what being a citizen is in the United States is all of these rules and laws and things are, are to regulate us to to remind ourselves almost to say like, hey, there's other human beings around here, you know, and to 
to make sure that we're cognizant of that. Um, and I already know, and because you are a member of DUPI and you're doing amazing things, I really want our audience to know a little bit about your history as far as like your citizenship now, as in how are you doing things inside prison as a citizen? If you consider yourself still a citizen, because you are incarcerated. So I guess that's like a two-part question. Do you consider yourself a citizen as an incarcerated man? And also, what are you doing as a citizen incarcerated currently? All right. So let me come at that this way. I recognize now more than ever, especially after this global pandemic, that our lives are all interconnected, right? That I am a part of a community. And I recognize now more than ever that my citizenship, so to speak, as it pertains to this country, has not been terminated by my incarceration because there are laws being made by those who vote, or excuse me, there are people voting for laws that have been passed that still impact my life while I am behind these walls. And while my capacity and ability to vote has been taken away from me, I recognize that since people out there are still making decisions that impact our lives in here, then it is apparent that I am a citizen <laughs> of this nation, right? And so that's clear. And because of that, I also recognize that those of us who are in here have, and I'll use this word, the, the ability to impact the lives of those who are out there. So though we may not be able to show up to a voting line, we can still use our minds constructively to come up with ideas for legislation. And that even in here, we can work with the community and our staff members and senators, right, governors, people who are in those positions where we can get legislation put forward and potentially push to get legislation passed. So, like, I recognize that I'm a part of a community. I recognize that my family is a part of that community. I recognize that, excuse me, I recognize that all of our lives are interconnected. And so, yeah, I have a vested interest in the health of this community. And so to me, my citizenship is me owning my identity within the context of this nation, that I'm a part of it, that I'm connected to the lives of the people in this nation, that I acknowledge the place of government, that I acknowledge the place of laws, its rightful place rather. And so that which I find to be consistent with my values. And so now just really understanding how to make a difference just doesn't involve marching in the streets and tearing up public property, but to really make changes in this nation, like you have to get legislation passed. Just like to get changes inside these facilities, you have to get ARs and IAs um, changed. You know what I mean? So what I've been doing is, and it's cool because like it's personal to me. So I look at it from a vantage point of what would seem to be self-serving, right? as far as my incarceration, but I believe in extreme accountability from that. And then I'm also aware of who's on the other side of the table. So we step into a room and a lot of times, it's just like when you call a family member, because we're in here, they think you want money, right? Like you, you want something when you call them. And it's just a sad case. Even if you've never asked them for money in 20 years, you know, like you give them a call and for some reason they think that you want to ask them for something. So likewise, I've noticed walking in the rooms and having these meetings with various different people in the community that there seems to be this um, presupposition that we want something from them and there is nothing we have to offer in exchange. And so instead of me going in there and playing to their sentiment that we want to get some kind of sympathy from them or we're taking a victim stance or this guy wants to somehow, some way, try to weasel himself out of taking accountability for his actions, like my footing is totally different. Like, no, I take full accountability for my actions. Yeah, I. I don't want anything from you. Rather, here's an idea that I have that we can work together, that we can partner on. And so I've been looking at legislation, like I've drawn up a couple bills, and I don't know what I'm doing, so, uh, you know, but I've 
looked at other bills and how they're written, right? I've, I've paid attention to um, things that have gotten passed. I've read statutes and current laws that are on the books and in light of certain things that's been taking place in this nation in light of our desire to see like real criminal justice reform. I've been just being conscious about the time that we're in and about the, the kind of effort that it's going to take to push to get things changed, but ultimately, right, it's, it's, going, it's, it's, it's again, it's a citizen effort, it's a community effort. So yeah, um, I hope that answers both of your questions. Oh my gosh, you, I, that, that's why I really wanted to, to just let people listen to you, Travis, because I, they know that, they don't know that right now I have like bullet points right now that I was gonna cover and you have covered so many of them, but please say the name of your bills. So the first one is, the Life Over Lethality Act, and the second one is the Clean Slate Act. So, in a climate where everyone is emotional and tensions are high, we should at least hope or at least encourage people to have the space in their hearts to take a step back and to put themselves in the other person's shoes because no matter what you plan, there's still somebody on the other side of the table who gets a vote. And instead of making decisions that only benefit you and your immediate circle, you should recognize that as a citizen, you live in a community, a diverse community whose lives will also be impacted by your choices and potentially any legislation that you put forth and gets passed. And so, I believe part of the problem that we're facing today and wanting to change legislation is because laws were made that often dealt with marginalized people not being considered. And so they were oppressive. And some of those laws were intended to oppress and marginalize, um, especially those of us who are in this particular circumstance. And so my hope is, is that through this conversation that they will see that there's gold buried in these here hills. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they should come to the table with, you know, like our hope is that people will be inspired to sit across the table from us so we can have genuine conversations that turn into real partnerships that actually affect change, not only in this context, but in our nation. Thank you so very much, Travis. I, I appreciate all of your honesty and yeah. Uh, Dusty Fields here. I'm, I'm back with Travis Barnes. So, Travis, the U.S. Constitution is a document framed to guarantee protection against political abuse and to provide a framework under which the U.S. citizen, being governed thereby, may take full advantage of the blessings of liberty. Now, correct me if I'm mistaken, but incarcerated men and women, they aren't at liberty to take full advantage of our government or the rights and privileges of its citizens. Denise, Denise. An incarcerated man in Washington, D.C., operative word here is incarcerated, is a commissioner voted into service He's right incarcerated. now. They voted him into service. Right. Okay. Talk about liberty. Let's 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 talk about liberty. Okay. Here. It is involvement, um, whether we are behind razor wire or driving free on the roads of America down Route 66. It is it is it is the hard work of the of constructing a new world. It is a choice wherever we find ourselves incarcerated, free in the city, in the country, uh, wherever it doesn't matter. If if you want to take control of your rights as a citizen, that is completely up to you. But that is the beauty. <laughs> that is the beauty of liberty. Right. Because you have the freedom to do it or not. That's the beauty of it. So if I say I'm tired and I don't want to fight for my rights, then that's my choice. I have nobody to blame but myself. That is that is true. But that's why we have these fail safes involved. These elected officials that are there to work on our behalf. And, you know, that's why we have the military. They are there to fight and secure our freedom because democracy itself is an experiment. Something that we have to work at to prove that it's true every every single day. So the way I understand, like the legislation and the way it governs us. It's supposed to free us in one step towards what you called the true north, right? This collective aim. 
of our thoughts and our mission and really what we want. And I know nobody, we're never all going to agree on how we get there. But I think if we remained ob- objective to the end goal, those could change so many things for so long. And that's the legacy that could be left. I just think that the direction of our journey has to look back. We have to look back sometimes on our history in order to know the landscape. Um, and I don't know, I know when we're making new new terrain, I guess you would say, is you don't know what's there and you got to plot it all out. But I feel like we have evolved as a democracy for so long that we have enough to learn from. And I feel like that the life over lethality, like that seems common sense to me. The Clean Slate Act seems common sense. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like when we talk about stuff like this, that's you guys exercising your liberties and your rights as citizens. But then it always becomes so political. And I don't want people to think that this is a political show and blah, I'm shutting this off because that's not the reality of what we're talking about. It's the responsibilities to the liberties that we are given. Listening to you speak to Travis, he's suggesting what I see to be small proposals for change. You're absolutely correct. And I agree with everything you said. And and uh, it's especially about a person having an opinion and having a right to speak their opinion, regardless of the subject or the content. Because here in America, in the land of the free, right, home of the brave, I honestly believe that it does not matter if I agree with you or disagree with you. You have the right to say whatever it is that you want to say in this country. You have the right to do whatever it is that you want to do. And you have the right to think whatever you want to think, as long as it does not impede on another person's pursuit of life, liberty and happiness. You should be able to say whatever, do whatever and think whatever, as long as you're not impeding on another person's rights. And and really, that's what freedom is. And it doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with you. Because like what you said, a lot of a lot of people will politicize our positions and our thoughts. And, you know, and that's fine. They have the right to do that. So I won't even complain about that. But but I also have the right to say whatever it is that I would like to say. So it's it's more about respecting other people's views and opinions and bounds and expectations. And 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 really, that's the takeaway for me. Just the ability to uh, to speak my mind freely. You know, that's enough. That's what a citizen in this country has convicted of a crime, doing time or or sitting at home on the couch eating Lay's potato chips. Right. We can all use our voice for good. We can all speak. And I also know, you know, that I can talk. I can talk all day, you know, (laughs) but but I have another quote for you, Denise. Back to what back to what Dean said was on that coffee mug and how in prison. Don't just sit there. And our next guest, Colorado State Senator Pete Lee, does not just sit there. I really want to say, why does a musician play music? Why does an artist paint or draw or create? Listen along as Andrew asked Senator Lee some questions where we get to hold a mirror up to some of our fundamental beliefs. In the state of Colorado, Senator Lee has been a champion of change in the criminal justice system and has spoken loudly and fought bravely on behalf of all of us. It was truly a pleasure to speak to him and learn of the work he puts in. The hard knocks, letters right in the cell blocks, economic disparities telling me cell rocks on they blocks making they loop. Senator Lee, uh, thank you for joining us today. So let's uh, just dive right into it, shall we? I'd uh, like to talk a bit about the felony murder bill that you're sponsoring. So can you please speak about your position on felony murder? Sure. As you know, felony murder has been in the Colorado law for virtually the whole time Colorado has been a state. And it is archaic, it is old, it is ancient, it is medieval in its origins, and it is unfair in that it imposes disproportionate sentences on people which are unrelated to their culpability. Felony murder is applied in cases where an individual is engaged in a felony and someone, anyone, dies. 
So the, the typical example is the uh, uh, two people who agree to maybe rob a convenience store. One person is in the car waiting, not knowing that their, their partner is armed, and the armed person goes into the store, the crime goes awry, and uh, a person is killed. Both people are guilty of felony murder, life without parole, no alternatives, no options, no discretion to the judge whatsoever. Uh, this bill would move felony murder from F1, life without, to an F2, crime of violence, 16 to 48 years. So there'd be, uh, you know, the possibility of a lower sentence for the uh, for both of the people who participated. I think it's more fair, it's more just, it's more consistent with what the person did wrong. All right. So then can you tell us your position on the sentence of life without parole? Not the crime of murder itself, but just the sentence of life without the possibility of parole. Well, to me, life without parole is a death sentence. And um, last year we abolished the death penalty, you know, with lethal injections and all of that. But life without parole denies the possibility of redemption. It denies the possibility of improvement. It denies the opportunity for hope to uh, people. So I really struggle, uh, Andrew, with the whole idea of life without the possibility of parole. And, you know, the Supreme Court made that, those Miller decisions a few years ago where they say you cannot sentence a juvenile to life without the possibility of parole for those same reasons, that uh, people can change during the course of their lives and people can improve and people can get better. And the person they are when they commit a crime is probably not the person they are 5, 10, 20, 30 years later. But life without parole allows no acknowledgement of that. They're there for life. So those are my thoughts, Andrew, that life without is the same as death because they're going to die in prison. Thank you for that powerful opinion. I, uh, I really appreciate it. And you spoke about redemption. And my question here is, how would you define redemption? What is your definition of redemption? I would say that redemption is transformational change for the good. I think redemption comes when a person recognizes and accepts responsibility for what they did and then engages in positive affirmative acts to redress the wrong that they have done. People talk about redemption in a spiritual and religious sense. I'm talking about it purely in a practical sense of a person making changes. You know, it can be doing penance of a sort for the offense that they have done. In the world where I have placed an emphasis of restorative justice, repairing the harm done by an offense, to me, is the beginning of the path towards redemption and people can re-enter society as full contributing members having gone through that process of repairing the harm and going through a uh, feeling of mental, spiritual, and psychological redemption. Okay. Uh, thank you, Senator, for stating your position clearly and strongly. But I am I'm curious to how you address opposition. How do you address those who disagree with your position on redemption, your position on criminal justice, or how do you address victims that have all rights to feel how they feel? So, you know, I guess I, I start out from the premise, Andrew, that we as people, as sentient beings, have more in common than separates us. And I remember those statements of John Kennedy at his inaugural address where he said something like that, that we all breathe the same air, we all inhabit this small planet, we all cherish our children's future. 
I think there is more commonality in humanity. So when dealing with dissent and disagreement, I try to find the areas of agreement. So if I'm talking with a person who's a um, fiscal conservative, I may talk about cost savings. If I'm talking with a person who is a um, law and order person, you know, I may talk to them about public safety. And if I'm talking to a person who is a social justice activist, I will talk about repairing harm to society and improving opportunities for people. So I try to find, you know, where people are coming from individually and uh, find the common ground. I applaud that approach because finding any common ground in today's political landscape can be very tricky, right? A uh, field of emotional landmines. So I recognize the political skill and social responsibility that it takes to land in a place of commonality with people that have views that oppose your own. I see that. But um, right here, I'm going to take I'm right here. I'm going to take a real sharp left. Right. There is a uh, shared position amongst incarcerated people or people that have traveled through the criminal justice system that people that have been incarcerated are not looked upon as citizens, that a felon is a citizen enough to pay taxes, but not citizen enough to vote, not citizen enough to live in certain neighborhoods or attend certain schools, or even citizen enough to take an active part in the politics that shape the state and the environment and the country. Um, so, Senator, do you have an opinion or reaction to that statement? Well, I do, Andrew, and I think our society and community, the way we have established our criminal legal system, and I carefully don't refer to it as a criminal justice system, because I, I see it's not just in all cases. It's more of a criminal legal system. What we have done with people who have committed offenses in society is that we have marginalized them, we have excluded them from society, we have dehumanized them, we have sent them out of our communities to remote locations like Sterling, and we depersonalize them by giving them a number rather than using their names. So a wise man once said, the way you send a person out of a community is the way they will return to the community. So if we send people out of community who have committed offenses and marginalize them and dehumanize them and depersonalize them, they're going to come back to that community without a stake in the community. That's why, Andrew, a couple of years ago, I worked with the Secretary of State to establish a voting program uh, whereby people in the Department of Corrections would be automatically registered to vote when they walk out on parole. The idea came to me when I was running for elected office and I go door to door and some of the doors I knocked on, a person would come to the door and say, I can't vote. And I'd say, why? And they say, I'm a felon. And then I'd have to ask three more questions to find out if they really were disqualified from voting. Because in Colorado, you can vote as soon as you're off paper. But a lot of people didn't know that. They thought, you know, I committed a felony, may even have committed a felony in Michigan or Ohio. And they thought they came to Colorado, they were ineligible to vote. So if you don't vote, you're not actively participating in your community, you don't have a stake in the community, why would you obey all the rules and laws of that community which, of which you are not a member? And that they have a stake in the community, well, part of being in the community isn't just not violating laws, it's fulfilling the obligations of a citizen, which is to actively engage in your community, understand the issues, know who your elected officials are, contact the elected officials, and actually work with them to uh, 
make changes in the community. So uh, I hear you when you say people in uh, residents of prisons don't feel like they're citizens and I can understand the reasons for those feelings and I'm doing whatever I can to try to alter those feelings so that you can actually view yourself as citizens and participate in this society and community. Thank you for that because that's an important ingredient of the American experiment and that's for the citizens to feel as if they are a part of the process of establishing and maintaining our democracy. So a lot of our audience are people who are involved with the criminal justice system. And a lot of people don't understand the exact politics behind the right to vote and who can vote even while on parole. So my question to you then is, because, you know, because I hear opposition all the time about felons having the right to vote. Um, and being honest, most felons that I've encountered come from economically challenged backgrounds. And so those backgrounds and places usually lean towards Democrats in the voting pool. So do you have a reaction to those who believe that Democrats who want felons to vote only want them to vote because it opens up a greater pool of voters to keep them in office. Well, Andrew, aren't you a cynical guy? <laughs> Definitely not. I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, you know, one of the guys who worked most uh, diligently in prisons to help inmates was a guy by the name of Charles Colson. And Charles Colson was part of Richard Nixon's campaign, and he ended up going to prison for uh, engaging in illegal activities. But he was a hardcore, strong, uh, unwavering Republican. And, um, you know, I don't really care what party people are members of or what their political views are. I, I want people to participate because that's how democracy works. If people don't participate, democracy doesn't work. I think we need to educate people about how the electoral system works and that votes are counted and their votes are fair. I think it's important that people participate in the process. Whether they vote for me or vote for my opponent, I want them to participate, learn the issues, and become uh, educated about it. I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, the foundation of a democracy is an educated electorate. So it's really important to get people uh, educated and knowledgeable about the issues. And uh, they'll make their choices for, for uh, you know, what side of issues they come down on. But uh, voting is, is just one part of it. It's active engagement in the democratic process. Civilized individuals. That's what we are, Andrew. Civilized. I, uh, I hope so. Well, I want to give you... I know this is like a little off subject, but I think it's really interesting. But the wall around Territorial Prison was not built when the prison was built. Colorado Territorial Correctional Facility... 150 years old, one of the the oldest prisons in the West, that territorial prison. Yeah. The wall was built after when statehood was being recognized by Washington, D.C. The petition for Denver to become the capital, we had to prove as citizens in the state of Colorado that we were civilized, that we weren't the Wild West anymore, and that we could keep safe prisons. And when I learned about that, I think of the the borders and the lines and the boxes and the, you know, we're always the other and we're always separating. And then to listen to, to Pete Lee, it is about agreement, is where can we find agreement? And like, I feel like Senator Lee, even though he's a Democrat, he finds that middle ground, you know, because I think to be hard one way or the other, you're not really trying to reach out a hand um, to either side that way. So just a little tidbit of history about walls and civilized people in prisons. I did not know that, but I hear you and I understand what you're saying about those walls. 
And it's just another act for us to prove to us that we are civilized. But while proving that we're quote unquote civilized, what we're actually doing to the uncivilized is marginalize and demonize and whatever other eyes that we can come up with. Um, so I believe what we need to do is educate. And you spoke about Senator Lee being a Democrat. And I think you know this about me. I don't lean towards Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian, uh, none of them. But I do recognize that they all have something good to say. So why can't we just find and recognize what's good? Find the common ground. Because Senator Lee has taken the time to recognize what's good for the overall health of our society and the need for restorative practices in our community because in my opinion that's that's really what's needed that is the approach that that we take towards crime that's the approach that we should take towards those that are incarcerated those that are seeking to re-enter society uh we have to push towards these types of solutions because it's our responsibility to to use our voices to say what we want right and if we want to heal then we need to use our voices in a way that will heal. We do have to heal the harm. And I think that that's what I, I always want us to take away. And I'm always thankful for Travis, you know, um, cause he kind of keeps, keeps me very well aware of this is, uh, how, how are victims going to take things when we speak of things? And, and I always hope that anybody listening that may have been a victim of something of harm, as we all know, we all have harmed people. And we've all been receivers of harm. We've all felt the sting or pain. To be a citizen, we have to be responsible to the harm we create, but also the way we heal harm. And uh, this this whole episode has really brought out the point of we need more restorative justice advocates like Senator Pete Lee, like Dr. Hamilton, like Mr. Williams. They all see the way forward is through healing. Um, I think of our you know Nicole Dines from the the victims advocate here at headquarters and I think of so many people there's so many more that I can't even think of right now Monica Chambers restorative justice victim offender dialogue all these practices that we really need to start voicing for we need that as these as all of us incarcerated need to say we do want to heal the harm people need to know outside of prison that we want to heal the harm we created. And the more we speak up for restorative justice and restorative practices, the more we can show we want to be citizens in this country. We want to be citizens in the state of Colorado. Because that's the only way that we might restore trust is by speaking up. And maybe maybe we won't destroy things and maybe we'll understand the, the other priceless values that crime has destroyed. Yeah. And I know the need for restoration is a need we, we have yet to fulfill as a country with his drive and motivation and the business background and other builders fueling him to continue to build better solutions i am certain that that we will and my drive and motivation is to participate in democracy because i recognize the cost of not doing good business also what i want to say though is you're saying we just in the language you're speaking right now, Andrew, you accept that you are part of it. Yeah, definitely. You're accepting that you are part of the we. I am a part of the we. I'm just pointing it out. That's what I noticed. You're using language of like, I am part of this problem. So I want to be part of the solution. Of the solution. Yes. And you are correct. I use the word we intentionally because I am a part of it. It doesn't matter my race, my creed uh, or my background. What matters is is that I was born on U.S. soil and I have a civic responsibility regardless of my surface differences. So I am responsible because we all have to recognize the harm that's been caused. Right. That's the only way uh, not to cause harm again is to recognize that it was wrong to begin with. Right. It was wrong. What was done was wrong. We need to just say, you know, we need to just say it. we need to own it, that it was wrong. And then accept it and then and then just move on, because I think that there are a lot of people, you know, that have a problem with accepting the harm that was caused, accepting the wrongs. We just need to accept it and then move forward because, you know, that's that's the only way.
For Within Season 2, we have our resident poet, William S. Graham, from the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center, back with us in the virtual room. In all of our interviews, Will sits, listens, and then crafts an individualized poem for each interview. Here's Will. The Caring Balance I have two hands, holding many sides of change. Don't be surprised, this doesn't feel strange. It's like feeling joy and pain, or having to lose the battle at hand, only to gain or remain balanced. And yeah, it's a challenge, but I handle it with care. I understand what it means to stare at a problem and do something, say something, until it's not there. Some call me whatever, but the ones who know me and get to know me simply call me fair, the caring balance. For more content, music, poetry, and visual art, look deeper within at thisiswithin.com. Within is... Ashley Hamilton, executive producer. Andrew Draper, co-host. Denise Presson, co-host. Terry Mosley, producer. Angel Lopez, media production and creative support. William S. Graham, Denver Complex creative consultant. Sean Marshall, associate producer. Travis Barnes, creative music producer. Sarah Berry, associate producer. Matthew Labonte, segment co-host. Brett Phillips, segment co-host. Within is a collaboration between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Thank you for listening and choosing to look within. Fields, and I'm sitting here with Travis Barnes. Uh, so Travis, please, um, talk to us about this idea that incarcerated men or women are still citizens of the United States of America. Well, I think it's kind of simple. You know, the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident. I want to know who's we. Right? All men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So you tell me this, because I'm incarcerated, I lost the rights that God gave me. That's a flavor voice. Yes, I love speaking for truth. Casting my ballot open, it's counted in this conflict. In the prison, spinning my days in a cage. Looking out of my window, feeling we living in the last day. It's systematic, I've had it with all these hypocrites. Cuff us up and rough us up to tell us we ain't citizens. It's a mystic game that they taught us. Who's living in fear? Let's talk about what brought us here in the first place. Demonstrated the worst game. Martin King had a dream and they took him up to see. Y'all know what I mean. His solution is not fueling this revolution. Hoping that we can see a conclusion of being convicts. Knowledge is what we're on with. The way is heavy, but tomorrow's not promising. So today we stay ready. Society's neglected and disrespected. The best of us scheming and planning, and now they plotting on the rest of us. Uh, Dusty Fields here. I'm, I'm back with Travis Barnes. So, Travis, the U.S. Constitution is a document framed to guarantee protection against political abuse and to provide a framework under which the U.S. citizens.